Welcome to The Open Bell, a podcast for trumpet players by trumpet players and a cornet guy. I'm your host, Bill Stoneman, and I'm joined by my good friends and fellow trumpet geeks, Joey Tartell, and social distancing virtuoso, Brian Appleby-Weinberg. This episode of The Open Bell is brought to you by the World Trumpet Federation. Started by three great friends who love the trumpet and really care about teaching, the World Trumpet Federation is one-stop shopping for informative articles, helpful videos, and of course, home to the Open Bell podcast. If you or your students are looking for some new ideas, inspiration, or motivation, go to worldtrumpetfederation.com and gain a new perspective on learning and playing. And hey, cornet players are welcome too. And by S.E. Shires Company. With over 25 years in the business building world-class brass instruments, S.E. Shires Company is an established, industry-leading manufacturer of professional brass instruments. Personally speaking, I've been an S.E. Shires artist for years now, and I love my complete set of trumpets. And now, the company's Q-Series line of instruments makes that same S.E. Shires craftsmanship and ingenuity accessible to even more players. Whether you're starting your journey as a music major looking for your first professional horn or a seasoned pro looking to add a great horn to your collection, you need to check out the award-winning Q-Series and join the S.E. Shires family. This is a great horn that is born of S.E. Shires quality but at an amazing price point and models in B-flat and C are available. And here's the really cool part. You can visit www.seshires.com slash studio sampler to have horns sent directly to your studio for you and your students to test drive. Samantha Lane and her team at S.E. Shires Company have worked wonders over the years to get great horns into the hands of deserving students. And now we essentially have three segments. Warming up, a couple things, and no offense... We use these segments to cover information that uh, Joey believes is important, and then Brian and I just pretend that we agree with him on everything. Gentlemen, shall we? This is a segment we call Warming Up, and it gives us a chance to ease into the show by talking about some things that are on our radar. Today's segment of Warming Up is brought to you by Chop Saber. All of us here at the Open Bell, and in fact, the entire World Trumpet Federation team uses Chop Saber. Thanks, Dan Gosling, for making such a great product, and now available for trumpet and cornet players. Is that right? Hold it on. It is. Yeah, I they did got not a, know there was a conical version. There's now a conical version of Chops, conical yeah, Chop the, Saber. The tube's a little shorter. Yeah. Um, and wider. Right. Yeah. Oh, you know, that's excellent. The Dan, well, Dan knows what he's doing. He does. He's a yeah. pro, and you got to trust him. Yes. You should uh, have it with you. Front left pocket, that's where it belongs. That's it. Front left. We've never talked about this, that's but important. that's where it belongs. Keys are in the front right. Chop saver's in front left. And phone's in the front right. But okay, yeah. No, Chop you don't saver your front phone left. in your pocket. Stop yeah. it. Well, no, you do. No. And speaking of cornet players, Brian, what do you have for us today? Some more cornet joy for you guys. I think that's so, a that that's not a thing. I thought by now you'd have run out, to be honest with you. No, How much could no. there be? There's a lot more, a lot more. Um, so, so this week, um, I thought people might like to, you know, just experiment a little bit um, with mouthpieces. And uh, unlike the trumpet, where nobody cares about mouthpieces. Um, wow. Playing, <laughs> playing on the cornet. 
I think I just heard Peter Pickett roll over in his grave. Yeah, <laughs> and my phone's buzzing. <laughs> so, um, it really, it really is quite important. Although I'm, I'm pretty dogmatic about um, coronet mouthpiece choices, and I think, I think it's super important. Although I think it's only important if it matters how you, s- if it matters to you how you sound. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, but wait, whatever mouthpiece I, I, you want, I, I, I need to interrupt you here. <laughs> So if someone doesn't care how they sound, do you give them much credence at all after that? <laughs> no. Okay, so let's just do away with that part. So you're yep. saying mouthpieces are important because they do play a large part in how you sound. Yeah, I, th- I think so, and as on cornet in particular. Although if you're um, an American and you're trying to have an American cornet sound, um, there's a little bit more leeway, I think, in um, what you can play than if you're in the UK. And so if you're trying to play in a brass band in the UK, um, they're pretty strict about what you what what mouthpieces you can play. Although if you're playing soprano, you just play what you want to play, right? Nobody's going to mess with you. Nobody messes with the lead the lead person. Um, so I do have some suggestions <laughs> for for people. Do you do I, Brian, I don't know if you'd remember this. The very first time we ever talked about where we talked about cornet, when <laughs> I, I, I told you, this. I play, you know, I, you know, I actually play cornet, and you're like, yeah, sure you do, and very, and Brian, who's like literally the nicest guy we all know, I was looking down on total him. sidelong, like, okay, sure you do, okay, let me ask you a question, um, so what mouthpiece do you pl- use? And I said, well, I mean, I use a Wick three, and you went, oh, and then we actually could have a conversation, but you made on. so much judgment. You were like, there's not that was not getting past that if I told you. <laughs> I mean, I've got like a I've got a Bach three C cornet mouthpiece. You'd been like, Okay, we're done now and walk You're away. Out. <laughs> no no credence whatsoever. But the Wick three is the Shade gold down. the gold MasterCard of yeah, no cornet problem. players. All right. Yeah. All right, so you've got some suggestions. So the suggestions are um the traditional Dennis Wick mouthpiece, cornet mouthpiece. Um just numbers, no letters after after the number. So a lot of people in the States will play like a 4B and say, I'm playing a Wick mouthpiece. And you are playing a Wick mouthpiece. But the folks in, in the UK would say no um, no letters after even, the number. Even soloists? Um, yeah. So um, lots of them. Um, some people get away with playing lots of stuff. I think even um, Phil McCann is playing a Yamaha mouthpiece. Um, so there are, mm. there are variations. But I sat down in Brighouse um, with my Wick 4B. Because you know when you're playing on the front row and you're playing C's and D's for two hours straight, it's it's kind of a drag if you're playing a a straight four. And uh, it took about three minutes for Greg to lean over and say, "You can't do that here, mate." And since I knew that was coming, I had a four in the case, and so I played now, that. Now, for those who may not be familiar here, right? So the straight numbers are much more of, of, of almost a straight V. Yeah, it's a much and and when you put piece. when you put the B, there's a, a little hint of a cup built into that, right? <laughs> A little hint. That's right. Right. So I want to make sure that's clear. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I struggled on that mouthpiece on the four. You know, it's just what people play. So you just learn to play it. Um, and it's what Tom Hutchinson's, Hutchinson plays. Um, a lot of folks play it. And I found the rim to be quite sharp. Um, and so eventually, after I after I came back, I, I decided that um, maybe somebody like Peter Pickett would be a nice person to go to to have a mouthpiece made yeah um and he has a great mouthpiece available you can look it up on his website so the picket website has a british which uh, it's just a i play the picket british three 
It's a great mouthpiece. Um, I'm not sure how he came up with the design. <laughs> <laughs> we've we've had that discussion on the podcast. Oh yeah, before. We've, we've talked about it before. Yes. So um, yeah, so Joey Joey did all the translations for that mouthpiece. Uh, yeah. It's a great mouthpiece. Um, and so we use basically that in in our band here. Um, and I use um, I use those in the the university brass band. All the students use that as well. Um, but there are other mouthpieces you can you can get away with. Alliance, started by Roger Webster, um, has a line of cornet mouthpieces that a lot of people play. They're terrific. Um, and there's a line um, for, wow, just went out of my brain. Um, It'll come to you. Yeah, so eventually. Bill, Bill, what do you think about all this? <laughs> He's snoring. <laughs> oh, we lost. We've, we've lost Bill. He plays the picket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it's the picket all the way yeah it's so the only way i could keep up with brian just in sheer decibels well there is that right um richard marshall principal of, of black dyke has a line of alliance mouthpieces um but i think in the states you you so i would say wick picket and alliance are sort of in that zone if you want to play with a, a like a traditional british brass band sound okay so I, well just that uh, you know on other mouthpieces we try to we're concerned about the diameter if, if someone's going from a, their trumpet mouthpiece to the cornet mouthpiece do you try to keep the diameter the same or do you bring it in a little bit i bring it in just a little bit um but you can keep it the same so mm -hmm. i mean a lots lots of people i think that's what you did actually is the yeah. diameter is about the same it is yeah so i just make up for the depth with a little bit tighter um just a little diameter. smaller diameter yeah just a little yeah bit. Um, cool. Which I, f I find helpful. Um, but I also am not a person that freaks out about rotating mouthpieces, you know, between a hey no. horn mouthpiece and a. Well, no, there are some people oh, okay, that yeah. really want to feel that, that they want the same feeling on their face. So they want that same rim yeah. feeling mm -hmm. on no matter what horn they're playing. A friend of mine said, one one rim to rule them all. <laughs> well, if you remember, <laughs> he if wants you were the ever, same rim on every <laughs> mouthpiece. If you were ever in, in Vince DiMartino's office when he was at Kentucky, what there were all around the office were just stems. And all his horns, oh, and he right. would just go screw around. You know, he liked that same rim at the time for all of those things. Right. Yeah. So some people are like that, and they get completely freaked out. I, I have no no problem switching. Um, but in the states, people will play lots of things. Um, I would not recommend like a Bach cornet mouthpiece. I think basically that's a Bach trumpet mouthpiece, which I think is great. And they sh just put a cornet shank on the back end of it. So I don't think it's that it's that helpful. Um, mm -hmm. But the principal cornetist, uh, the new principal cornetist with the River City Brass Band, um, plays a shilky, um, and plays a shilky cornet. So I think in the states you can get away with um, a little bit more variation and maybe something similar to your um, your trumpet mouthpiece, your trumpet setup, unless you're trying to recreate the British brass sound, and then I think you have to go with one of those three that I was talking about. Yeah, I'm using. The one that Pickett, the Pickett design. I'm not sure how he came up with it either, but the British Cornet Cup is fantastic. <laughs> you guys, you guys yeah. are brutal. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, obviously more Cornet talk. So yeah, when one well, on our six fans, I'm just thrilled. Joey, what do you got for us today? Uh, I'm going to get us out of the 17th century and into the 21st <laughs> um, <laughs> with with this question. Um, 
uh, I don't know what you guys, you know, I have been teaching in person this semester, which means I, I'm across the room from my students. Now, I'm very much used to sitting next to students, which I like, mm -hmm. which has you looking at the same book, the same exact thing. You can make those markings. But now I've got mine out. They've got theirs out. And we're talking across the room, which is working and it's working, I, I think, fairly well. But what I've noticed both with myself and with my students is there's a lot more music being used digitally. And you know me, I'm, I was a, oh, you know, the yeah. day the iPad Pro came out, I was ordering, like I'm in. It's finally the size of a piece of paper. So mm -hmm. do you have a preference now, real paper or, you know, a digital screen to read music and practice music from? I, I'm clear on this. I, it, it's paper for me. And I know what you're going to say. It's my age, and you're going to blame that pretty much everything on that, actually. But I like the virus. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, he, he grows his own trees, and then when they're yes. ready, makes his own. Right? He's exactly. got his own mill in the backyard. And then uh, because I think it holds up to the quill pen better. Quite exactly. Honestly. Yeah. Um, but I like the music. I like writing in the margins and all that. But I will say the four score app on the iPad where yeah. you can notate things with a pen and then send that notated PDF to a student works really well in these situations. So I'm, I'm getting a little more used to it, but I think even like, especially for memorization, having the paper and being able to write on it helps me memorize things better than reading off the screen. Hmm. Because you, I, you can write in four score, you can write in black. Oh, binder. You can, you so, can. All right, Brian, thoughts? Yeah, be, because I, um, I'm heavily swayed by you guys, and you cost me tons of money every time I hang out with you. You're welcome. I did buy the <laughs> iPad, the new, the new mm -hmm. iPad Pro. It's amazing, and I put all of my brass band music on it. Um, we're now rehearsing again, but we're outside, and so it's nice to not have to worry about the wind. Mm. Or a stand plex light, plexiglass, right. and a stand light. The whole, the whole thing. So, <coughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm doing that, and um, have the pen, and so, yeah, just using Fourscore. So it's great. Um, the Nathan, Nathan Oss stuff that I use, the the etudes, those are all PDFs. Um, so I think I'm not necessarily a convert. I'm not, no, not sure I'm going to trust it for a show, yet. Mm. Um, page oh. turns, and you know, but I, but I do use it. Oh, it's interesting because uh, I think the first time I used it on a concert, uh, and this is before the Pro came out, was with Boston Brass on their Christmas stuff. I'd just right. gotten my first iPad, and they sent all the music out by PDFs, and I thought, I'm going to try this out. And, you know, you know, I love Jose <laughs> like, like a brother. <laughs> and so I show up, and his stuff's, you know, he's not always the most organized guy with all of his stuff. So he's <laughs> looking around for music, and I just put the iPad up, and I'm oh, you're still using paper. Right. So, <laughs> a couple years, so a couple years go by and I show up and they have completely switched. And in fact, uh, Sam Palafian, who oh, I still can't yeah. believe isn't still with us. Right. I show up to, uh, I was playing a halftime show at, at University of Oklahoma. Jose had to miss. They said, can you come in and cover that for us? And he'll be in for the rest of it. And I came into the rehearsal. They've got all their iPad pros out. And Sam says, you did this to us. <laughs> <laughs> right. So because then I showed up a couple of years later when the iPad Pro came out. Now, Jose now has the iPad, but he's got to turn sideways so it can be big enough. And I put the Pro up and said, oh, you're just using the amateur now. <laughs> he's like, dude. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I've absolutely used it for concerts and it, uh, it, it works great. But I, I will tell you, you know, in my, in my office, I have still have so much paper that I will sometimes just default to that because it's sitting right there. The book's right there. The book's right there. Oh, do I have the PDF? Right. Yeah, do I have it somewhere? Yeah, I can. So I find myself really, I, I think I'm making a gradual shift 
Yeah. Because mm-hmm. it, I, I really, uh, I don't think I have a preference anymore. I don't think it matters to me which way I go. And I was wondering where you guys came on that. Yeah. Yeah, I still like paper if I really have to dig in and learn something. But, you know, I have, yeah. I've had students that use the iPad, and so I read off of that in a lesson. Yeah. So, you know. All right, cool. Bill, yeah, what do you got for us stuff. this morning? Well, I was really torn because I, I got two things, but I think I'm going to follow up on something I mentioned last week just to kind of pique your interest um, when we were playing Jeopardy. Right. Yes. And I had a category named Haiku Tukutu. Yes, and you, you said, right. wait a minute, don't you mean Tutuku? And I, I said, did say that. I did this on purpose because I wanted to come back to this. And now we're back to it. And we're back. And here we are with multiple tonguing patterns, especially triple tongue. Here's how this happened to me. Right around the time I started to learn, I learned double tonguing from my teacher in high school. And that was cool. And then unfortunately, he became ill right when we were going to switch to do triple tonguing next. Now, yes, he taught me double tonguing first. Okay. So I was left to my own devices. So I thought, sure. wait a minute, triple tonguing. Well, I just need one more. I guess I just alternate again. You know, I, yes, I could have read the Arben book, but I didn't. So I was going to go, to go, to go, to go. And then I thought, well, I'll just go to go two. There's a, there we go. I'm good. So I learned to triple tongue to go Sure. That was all fine till I got to the governor's school for the arts. I was one of the trumpeters chosen like before my senior year in high school. See, now you're just bragging. I am ding. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, summer in Lewisburg was fantastic. Lewisburg? They put you up Lewisburg, at the state prison? We were at Bucknell. Bucknell, yeah, Bucknell University. Right. It's yeah. right at, on Highway 19. There's a state right. prison right there. Yeah, I didn't know that. I just thought Bucknell was there. Anyway, now, you know, now I you know, know the both. difference. Right. Yeah, they're so, both there. Anyway, uh, so I'm How working you know on. <laughs> who are you talking Come to? On. This is insane. Uh, no. Okay, to be fair, I, I will answer the that highway. Question. Yeah, it's a there state goes road. that category really in Jeopardy next week. <laughs> Actually, uh, I did date a girl in college who's from Lewisburg, Pennsylvania, and we spent a spring break there. (laughs) There it is. There it is. So anyway, I'm working on Carnival of Venice, and I'm doing fine, right? I can can do, except for, so I'm good. Uh-oh. And I couldn't figure it out. The the A to F jump. Right, with the K in the middle. And I was there with with a student from Philly, and he was like, you know, we, we started talking about it and realized that he's going. And in that instance, that was better. And that is better for that lick. That is true. That lick. And so that's when I realized, oh, no. But what I did ultimately worked out great because I now can do both of them. Right. So I added TTK later. I'm curious. I'm assuming both of you learned TTK for triple tonguing. Yes. I did. Brian, yes. what do they? How do they teach in England? <laughs> yes, TTK. Um, but Gatala was really big on um, learning to to just manipulate them all over the place, and right. um, so he required um, doing all. So if you're doing a triple tongue exercise for Gatala, I studied with him in the summers when I was back home, and uh, you would have to do triple tongue exercises with all of the variations. So. K in the middle, and then just alternating T's and K's with changing the accent. Mm. And uh, Conhardine Grote, the uh, former principal trumpet player at Berlin Phil, has a book out that has um, some really intricate, like uneven, multiple tonguing passages um, where you have to keep flipping them for an entire etude, flipping where the T's and K's. It's really uh, fascinating stuff. Doesn't Ethan Allen Bazzuti... Uh, do the same thing. <laughs> Alan Vizzuti has a book, right? Well, it's odd metered stuff that you have to go, taka, yeah. taka, 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 you know, yep. just turn yeah, this stuff all around. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, 
I think it's Highway 15, not 19, just for the record. Um, it is. It is 15. Yeah. 19 yeah. out a little bit. I, I'm but, just, yeah, I yeah, could yeah. have corrected you, but just know how no, futile it, that is. It just is. went through my head as I was picturing. Right. It's actually 15. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, uh, yeah. I, I did learn that the, the, the TTK or DDK, whatever, whatever. Right, DDG, you right. Think, TDK, yeah. Right. Sure. The, the, so there was always, but again, like I've mentioned here I've, several times, is that I was hiding from multiple tongue until I got to college and was sort of forced into it. So then it was like, all right, I really need to learn how to do this. But yeah. I, I've never uh, strayed too far from that. What I have found is, is that, if you need to, if you need to accent different parts of that, you can do that within the confines of the TTK and make it work just fine. Right. Or if you want to start on the second, or start on the fourth, or start on the third, you can just jump in that way. You just want to make sure your K is strong enough so that you're able to start anywhere you want and still make it sound right. And if that's what's working, then you're then you're good. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, it's just one of those things I had to over overcome you know because i learned it a certain way but then ultimately like because you can't do an esco legend you can't do that tiki tech tkt it gets I imagine really somebody could i, I somebody, don't know that it, i could it's really yeah. vertical yeah it gets yeah. really vertical <laughs> it's not yeah. it's not a good thing but there are other things like the opening of mauler five if you multiple tongue that and i do um <laughs> That works really great as TKT. Yeah, because you can you can keep it keep it mm -hmm. huh. interesting. Keep it open. I think that yeah. works either way, frankly, for the beginning the of Mall Five. Yeah, I just think there's a little more clarity with the TKT, but you know, matter hmm. of opinion. Sure. Yeah. Well, listen, boys, the masses have spoken. It's time for another segment of the Open Bell Mailbag. <laughs> Oh, oh, good. Yeah. We need to hear from our listeners. Yep. We care deeply about each and every one of them. <laughs> Which is easy because there's only six. Right. It doesn't take much time. Right. Oh, I think you guys are underestimating the uh -huh. enormous, enormous success and reach of this program. <laughs> okay. All right. Email number one. As someone who is just starting my undergraduate degree and learning lots of new repertoire, I was wondering what pieces you performed on your master's degree recitals. By the way, I love the podcast, especially when Joey gets angry because he doesn't understand how bingo works. <laughs> James from Media, Pennsylvania, and now Mechanicsburg. Seems like a bright young boy. <laughs> okay. Very astute. I, I'm going to need to speak with young James. <laughs> As now, I'm not angry about bingo, but I am angry with him. <laughs> Well, you've learned what bingo is. Right. Uh, You're getting well, better I, at it. <laughs> as long as I know the birth years of Brian's family, I'm in good shape. Lord. I don't care what we call it. That was freaky. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway. I, I, may be, I may be out here as uh, uh, my undergrad was a, was a classical trumpet degree, but my master's was a jazz trumpet degree. So on my uh, master's recital, I was it was it was a, a jazz recital that was, uh, in fact, mostly oh, maybe about half big band in fact i played some uh out front and some actual lead both i did both of those things on my master's recital yeah big band for the recital that's cool well I, you know considering that my i mean coming into there i was definitely not the strongest improviser which is why i wanted to absolutely do a jazz degree to like okay i need to commit to this i've been ignoring this i need to really dive in but i was definitely a strong lead player so i wanted to showcase that within the jazz setting as well nice yeah yeah did you, did you did you count the band off from there? Was there a? No, I ran the band from the back, band from the back, band, uh, band. from the front, and from the back. Yeah, I like it. 
Wow, that's great. Yeah. So great. my master's may not count there, but uh, you guys both did classical degrees for your master's, right? Yeah. Did, yeah. I I actually did I did two master's degrees, one in ed and one in performance. So for the ed degree, I actually split a recital with uh, a trombone player who was there. So that I didn't have to do as much. But then, yeah, I had to do a solo recital for the performance degree. So what did you guys play? Well, Brian, what did you... So uh, Let's I, pick a couple favorites anyway. So um, we had a collaborative piano major. And so um, I was able to... I was asked to pick a, a sonata. So I did um, Ken and Sonata, the and a pianist got to do it as part of her recital too. So I sure. got to get to two performances of it. Um, I did Telemann. I did um, uh, Peasley Night Songs. Mm, uh, love that piece. I did Inesco there. Um, and I did, oh, I, I definitely played cornet pieces. Shocking. Um, yeah. I played that's a bunch of horns. Good for you. On, I like that. Uh, yeah, cornet solo on each one. Because that, that's, that's, that's B flat and cornet pick and C and flugelhorn. Yeah, and I think I also I think that's when I uh, maybe first performed all of Hummel as well. Oh, then mm. E flat as well. Yeah, good that's for you. Great. So yeah, it was pretty pretty broad based recitals. Yeah, it was cool. I did the Torelli stuff like the Sinfonia Contramba, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and then G one, G eight, those those things, oh, yeah. and then did Hindemith, did mm -hmm. the entire thing. I actually, did that for memory. Oh, look at you! That was nice. fun. That was yeah. great energy. Another uh, played, place where you need a great pianist. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And there was the thing too, like there was a really, really terrific pianist there doing a collaborative piano thing. I uh, did Saxa and Neruda. And this is not all in the same recital. This is across right. these couple recitals, but right. uh, loved playing the Saxa. Yeah. The concert that was a lot of fun. Yep. And then my two, the two favorite things I did, Biche, Four Variations, mm -hmm. which is my ultimate right. favorite piece. And then, but the really interesting one that folks might not know so much about is the Suderberg Chamber Music 7. Yeah, yeah, with uh, with all the like the sort of antiphonal effects where you play into the piano and that kind of stuff. Multi movement piece did it on E flat. The parts in C, but it's really it's really great on E flat trumpet. Um, that was kind of the that was a real highlight piece for me because I hadn't really done anything like that before. So, yeah, that's very cool. Yeah. So wh why is your freshman starting with master's stuff? Should we be looking at undergrad recitals? He's looking down the road. He's ambitious. He's he's a little ambitious. Yeah, sure, that's fair. But uh, I, I love that. He's, I mean, yeah, he's, he's looking way down the road. To, you know, he's kind of saying, how good are these guys? They talk a good game, but that, what can they play? That's what we're good at. We're good at talking a good game. Which is why we're doing that. Yeah, we're not on here playing a recital every week, are we? No. All right. Email number two. Greetings. This question is for Joey and Bill. My husband is a trumpet player, but identifies as a cornet player. That's all he talks about. In fact, it's been this way for so long that he actually thinks he's British. Do you have any advice on how I can get him interested in the trumpet again? I'm afraid the neighbors, the neighbors are going to start talking soon. P.S. Brian, please stop at the store on your way home. We're out of tofu. <laughs> Sarah from Glassboro, New Jersey. Sarah, I, I'm so glad you're right. Isn't she on call? She, she's been in touch. She's worried about you, as are we. She is, Brian. She's the good, worried. The good news is this, Sarah. Believe it or not, once we get once Trumba Mundi's together, he actually enjoys playing the trumpet. We just need time to get together as a sextet again so we can actually get him playing the trumpet. He does enjoy it in that context. He's even said it out loud. <laughs> he has. And we'll get pictures of it so you can show the neighbors. Exactly. And that'll be helpful. <laughs> All right, email number three. Hey, guys, thanks for the podcast. It has become a non-negotiable part of my week. This question is for Bill. 
Bill, I can't help but notice that the quality of your voice is so much better than Joey's and Brian's. I'm sure some of it's genetic, but what equipment are you using to get such great presence on the podcast? Bruce from Marietta, California. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. (laughs) Well, Bruce, I'm glad you asked, but you probably noticed that this week we all sound the same. We've done a little bit of upgrading this week. We're upgrading. We're upgrading. I think he meant like what kind of lozenges are you gargling at night? I think that's what he's talking about. A lot of electrolytes and uh, yeah, it's really good. Yeah. Vocal exercises. Yeah, (laughs) totally. It's a half hour warm up for me before this starts. (laughs) It's something I call the thing. Yes. Which is is why you're shot now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm never going to admit. That's why we can only go an hour. That's right. (laughs) <laughs> all right email number four. First of all love the show it's become an absolute favorite uh, podcast of mine and i so look forward to tuesdays for the information inspiration motivation and the laughs i love how personal you guys are willing to get about your stories successes and failures so i thought why not a personal question in the mailbag here it goes what is your favorite candy bar thanks for sharing there well, we go i mean i mean we can agree, I think. I think yes. we can agree on this. No contest. Right. Bill, you want to just go ahead and take it home. I'm going to, I'm going to, it's payday. Yeah. It's the official candy bar of Trumpamundi and it of is. the World Trumpet Federation. I mean, this is a broad based appeal of a candy bar. It is. And it's not even close. No. Not close. Now, a lot of you out there are thinking right now, hey, but wait, that doesn't have chocolate. And there's no rule that a candy bar has to have chocolate. And That's the right. payday is proof of that. Now, right. there is one out. We've had some internal arguments because I know I can hear you now. I can hear it. The follow-up. Yep. Now comes. there is a chocolate-covered payday that is on the market. <laughs> now, we've had some internal disagreements, but I think to date I might be the only one who's tried it. Now, Bill, yeah, you, you've been I, anti. You don't even want to try it. No, I'm a purist. Why mess with success? But it, we can't be that purist because if that's true, we never get valves on the trumpet. Uh, right? Yeah, right. You got or, there progress. Wouldn't even, or we'd all still be playing the cornet. Well, no, that's just not okay. <laughs> that's an unacceptable now, premise. I'm really, I'm really proud of the fact that Payday has become the official candy bar of Trombamundi and now the World Trumpet Federation. Yes. Because I, I like to remind you that I started you, this. This is true. Totally I, I always this. like to give credit where credit is due. You picked mm. one up and we all looked and went, Payday. It's like that one that's out there you forget about that's just a delight. We were we were in the Wawa in Westchester, yeah, Pennsylvania. That is correct. Went in for coffee before rehearsal, and I'm standing there with a payday, and everybody had that was the reaction. <gasps> payday. Right. And now we buy them in bulk on tour. Of course. We need them in bulk on tour. The only way really to make the open bell better for you as a listener would be to get a fresh payday. Yeah. And open it when you start listening. Absolutely. And yeah. you're welcome. And <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> we, we're here for you. Yeah. Perfect. All right, email five, and it's our last one. I know you're disappointed. Gentlemen, thank you so much for the inspiration. Since I've started listening to your show, I've been more organized with my practice, feel totally inspired, and have embarked on 100 days of practice. I started on October 1st, and I'm on day 10. So thank you. <laughs> Keep up the good work. DQ, North Carolina. Yeah. What's today's date? <laughs> yeah, so this is, this is the interesting part of the 100 days, and we've had this discussion. We've hinted at this. We've joked about this. But we have seen a number of people that embark upon this 100 days. They don't seem to say 100 days in a row. Right. Now, I thought we all believed that was... 
the implication. That it's was the implied. idea when they started. But I guess we were wrong we in were inferring totally wrong. that. Not in a row. We were yes. wrong. Now, a lot of this started during the pandemic, and I think maybe that's why we assumed it. Like, no one, they didn't have anything else to do. So, look, for the next 100 days while we're all locked down, we're going to practice. Yeah. Wow. It doesn't that say it doesn't 100 s- days of practice with days off. Or, it, yeah, it doesn't say 100 consecutive. Right. So, 100 days, you start October 1st. Sometime around June, maybe you're there. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Right. by next did, October. You did 100 days of practice, didn't you? I did 100 days of photography practice. Were they in a row? They were in a row. I remember liking One them on... after another. Yeah, on uh, watching that on the Instagram. There was full. a bit of fear involved that if I fell down on the job, I might get abused on the podcast. Mm. That, was, that was justified. <laughs> that fear was justified, yes. And fear is a great motivator. Great and motivator. what a better segue into our topic for today. Boys, it's time for a couple of things. Long before quarantine and the global pandemic disrupted our lives, the topic of motivation has been a popular one among those seeking inspiration and those responsible to provide it. Now, listen, before we dig in, I'd be interested to know how each of you define motivation. I think Brian just did with fear. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> how, when, you, when you think of the word motivation, what, how would you define that? I, I think mm-hmm. I have a good one. But you, right, guys you go, go first. You go first. Uh, my mine is the reason that you that you have for acting or behaving a certain way. Hmm. The reason. The reason. I view motivation as a reason. It's like my why. Sure. Yeah. Falls I think under the same category. I, I think that's solid, but there could be more reasons than just the motivation. I think mm-hmm. the motivation is the uh, what drives you. Mm. That's for me. Motivation is what drives you. Okay. Brian? Yeah, it is a little bit more of a core belief. It comes from inside somehow, and uh, and it's pushing you forward somehow. So I, I did go to Merriam-Webster for a definition, although I'm not sure how much we should trust them because they just said that irregardless was okay. Okay, but they've been Lord. saying that since the 30s. Again, yeah. the dictionary is not a judge. The dictionary is a representation. Yeah. One well, of the editors at, at Merriam-Webster's, Peter Sokolowski, he's a trumpet player. We like Peter. We he's like very him. good, right? He has listened to the podcast. I don't know, Peter, if you're listening, please let us know. But we've had a, we had one short discussion about this. We've gotten together to do some playing a couple of times. And again, Irregardless has been there since, I believe, the 30s. Mm-hmm. And whether you like it or not, it's, uh, it's a, we're, the, the, the dictionary is there to show us what is happening, not judge whether it's right or wrong. We're all happy with email as a word. It's both a noun and a verb. It mm. wasn't 30 years ago. Mm. If I came to you when we were all in high school and Bill was, I don't know, teaching college at that point. There said, it is. Hey, could you email me something? <laughs> they would say, what is you know, email? That's not a word. Mm-hmm. It's a word now and it should be, right? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So we're okay with that. So Merriam-Webster says stimulus or influence. Sure. Yeah. That okay. Works. There you go. I don't know. I still don't like this idea that if you use a word enough... That eventually it can be adopted. You know what that's I mean? How, as a, that's as that's a how word. language evolves, though. That's just how language works. It's like a Brian, whether you like it or not. It's like a Brian would say the word "hanging" enough that it would eventually happen. It'd become a reality. But, but that's he just can't. magic. I'm not going to say that word. <laughs> Brian, I've heard him in a sentence go. Are you guys going to go ha? 
<laughs> no, I don't really feel like ha. Ah. <laughs> like that sounds like, and this is boy, I'm showing my age here. Fonzie trying to say wrong. If you remember there, that, <laughs> I do. <laughs> I do. May yes. have uh, quoted that. Yes. Well, so let's talk a little bit about. Let's dig in a little bit about this. Is motivation maybe inspiration from your vision for your own life or what you want to do? Um, we could be motivated through our education, right? Um, from teachers or parents or peers. Maybe we're just motivated to finish our degree and get a job. Um, that was my screensaver on my Mac LC2 when I was doing my doctorate in wow. Texas. It scrolled across the screen every day. Finish your degree and get a job. <laughs> it worked. I, I typed it in there. Yeah, it actually worked. So I, what do you, when you think about motivation, you think about those things, does inspiration from vision make any sense to you? Sure. Uh, you know me, I like to oversimplify everything. So, uh, and I've seen a lot, especially if we've all been shut down and locked up and there are fewer things to go do. I think a lot of trumpet players, or a lot of musicians have used uh, outside stimulus as motivation. So they've used, I've got a concert coming up, I need to practice. I've got a gig coming up, I need to get ready for. I've got a show coming up, I need to be prepared, you know, or I've got a, a competition or those kind of things. And these never made sense to me in any way. And I think a lot of this came from my teachers when I was young. My teachers never wanted to see any of my district band music. They didn't want to see my solo and ensemble music. Right. They didn't want to see my, any band music we were working on in high school. They're like, no, that's not what we do in here. And I've done much of the same things with my own students. It's like, uh, I think I've said this before when I started teaching, what I told my students is, hey, listen, if you do what I tell you, everyone outside this room is gonna think you're really good but we're gonna know the difference. We talked about this in ego because I wanna help battle that ego. But mm -hmm. the idea of being over-prepared for anything that's gonna happen in the real world because, hey, listen, I wanna be able to play everything. For me, that's what I wanna be able to do. And I know that's not possible, which is what keeps me going. So for me, motivation is very, very simple. I wanna make a simple concept. I want to continue to grow. Mm -hmm. There it is. Do, so the question you can ask yourself every day, and I know, Bill, you're a big fan of ask the big questions and it helps you make all the small decisions, right? Right, right. And that's a great way to live. And this is how I look at, at motivation. So every day you can wake up and say, do I want to get better? Right. And if the answer to that is yes, then I need is. to practice and I need to listen and I need to work and I need to, to, to continue to try and get better. So for me, it's really that simple. And I know for a lot of people it's not. And that's... And, and I and I try and help my students with this as much as I can because I think it's really, really important that if you're using some external factors that you're running into danger because what happens, for example, like your motivation is, all right, I want to finish my degree and get a job. So when you finish your degree and you get that job, well, now you need new motivation. Sure. And a lot of people, and we've seen this with, with colleagues, with professionals, with students, they get to that job and then... Well, now what? I mean, listen, you know, when I was what, 27, uh, I've been playing on Maynard's band for a couple of years and it's time to move on. But now what? I played on Maynard's band. Like you already had your right. dream job. So if, that, <laughs> if my motivation was I want to play lead trumpet on Maynard Ferguson's band, okay, I'm done. It's time to go do something else. Well, and with the amount of money you saved doing that, I'm sure you could have just kicked back. <laughs> yeah, the negative, <laughs> how much, hold on. But, uh, but, the, idea, but the idea, so if, if those external things are your motivation, I mean, sure, short term, that may be able to help. 
But right. I think we need to think bigger than that. So for me, I immediately go bigger. I go to yeah. the, biggest, well, the biggest I can. And this is the this is the thing. I'm so glad you brought up the external motivation thing because hasn't that been the issue? How many times have we talked to folks and you've heard, well, so now with all this going on, what are you doing or how are you staying after it? I mean, that's that's been the thing because their external motivation disappeared. I love the idea too of zooming out. You know, I have students who might be struggling at school or trying to decide what major. Right now, you know, we're all dealing with a lot of prospective students who aren't sure about what major they're going to. Okay. So I love the zoom out, right? Where do you see yourself 10 years from now? You know, five years from now? You know, what do you what do you want to be doing every day when you get up and go to work or, you know, performance majors when you get up in the evening and go to work or whatever, you know, that happens to be like, what what does that look like to you? Because then that starts to help them formulate that thing that's really important that'll drive them forward. Yeah, Brian, what do you think? Yeah, I, th I think that, uh, well, obviously you guys are brilliant and and, uh, and make great, great points. Um, <laughs> not many people will agree with me. Um, Does he owe us money? So I, I think a lot of people will, will um, a lot of people have um, motivation wrapped up in what people think of them. And I think you should have people should have motivation wrapped up in what kind of person they want to be. How do they see themselves? It's what you said, Bill. How do you see yourself in five, ten, fifteen years? But I, it's even deeper. Um, what kind of person are you? Um, are you the kind of person who's going to be successful doing X, Y, and Z in in music? Those people who are successful have certain exhibit certain traits daily. So great conductors. Um, exhibit the trait of studying scores every day. Why, um, why would you start with conductors? This is a bad sign. <laughs> I, I like where this is going. <laughs> wow. I'll turtle, entertain. The, the turtlenecking is strong. This I'll, enter I'll entertain the motion. <laughs> um, so, or, or great players exhibit these traits. Um, these traits are possible because of daily dedication to the craft. Um, great symphonic players um, have their daily lives around being able to function in these these times. There's a, a motivation to maintain, to get better, um, and to be successful. And I think it doesn't ever change. You want to keep. I, I some for some reason my parents handed down to me the idea that um, no matter what you're doing, you want to give yourself the best shot at doing it great no matter what that thing is. So playing baseball, playing football, running track, playing trumpet, give yourself the best chance, which means you do things every day to make sure that when you're doing your craft, that you have the best chance to be as good as you can be. Mm. And so for me, that means practicing every day. Um, I also do the same thing with, with running, right? I, I'm not satisfied that just finished the Philly Marathon I wanted to do faster. Now I can't ever run them again, but, um, <laughs> right. But there's that sort of constant tweaking, um, just to make sure that you're not, I don't know. I think if you're not going forward, you're sort of going backward. Um, oh, I believe that to be absolutely that's true. That's absolutely true. What's we the, can Shawshank, agree on that. the Shawshank quote? Um, you can either get busy living or get busy dying. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, but with trumpet playing, I think, and very simple, you're either getting better or you're getting worse. You're not yeah. staying the same. Right. So let me throw this twist on it, too, because I, I, I've figured this out about myself several times over the years. I generally live in a state of positivity. 
In other words, I I see the positive in no matter what it is. Uh, This is some of the Ryan Holiday, the obstacle is the way kind of thing, you know. So the obstacle, just whatever it happens to be, is just a way for me. It's a personal test. Can I can I win this? Can I get around this? Is there a way to fix it? And I think this is a good time, too, to talk about turning negatives into motivation. We have that choice. I sure. ultimately have that choice every day. This is a negative thing. I could let it get to me or I could turn it into fuel as well. Sure. But there's a danger there uh, of when you engage with too many negatives. And I'm a very naturally a pessimist. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm generally a happy person, but I am a pessimist. And I, I think you can do both of those things that when you when you do focus on the negatives, how you do that becomes really, really important. Like what Brian was saying before, it, it's very easy. Like I watch students here at IU. They will look at themselves and they'll see the weaknesses in their playing, but only the strengths in the other players. And then it's then it's easy to think everybody else is better than I am and then get really down on yourself. And that's yeah. that's that's a really hard thing to try and overcome if you're in a school and you're coming in as a freshman and you're watching some of the other upperclassmen. Or if you're coming here and we've had some graduate students show up and then they hear some of the really strong undergraduate students and think, Oh, holy crap, what have I done? Yeah. So if you if you focus on those perceived negatives, that can can be self-destructive. So you got to be really careful in how that sure. works. I, I'm actually, I've taken to doing this this year. I've done it with a, a couple of my new students who have, you know, they're, they're really interesting because they're all very different, different strengths and weaknesses. Right. So I said to some of them, what do you like about what your peers do? Is there something your peers do that you now sense is missing in your playing or that you realize that you don't do? And, you know, they've been very honest about, I can't make a big sound like that. I don't have the range that she does or that he does or whatever. And so then we have kind of used that as a, okay, that's a reality. You know, I know how that feels. Let's talk about now a plan, how we can get closer to that and use that as a model and not something that's going to discourage you. So, um, yeah, it's actually worked pretty well. And I, I, I do want to stress that um, the research tells us that motivation only gets you so far. Um, so you're motivated to change this about your playing. But that only pushes you for so many days. Um, and that motivation will wane. Um, and so what I've asked my students to do, I've, I read this really amazing book by um, author called by James, named James Clear. It's called Atomic Habits. Mm. And the idea is that you don't want to be ruled by working when you feel great about it or when you're super excited about it. Um, you want to be ruled by, you, you don't want to make that decision based on how you feel about it at that moment. You want to be um, motivated by your habit. So when I wake up in the morning, it's time to practice. Like right. It's not, <laughs> like it's just, that's, I woke up, oh, it's time to practice. It's like, so he, what he says is link your, link these things. He calls it habit stacking. So things that you have to do, you have to eat breakfast. Well, before breakfast, you practice for an hour. Well, so then it's linked. So then if you go to eat breakfast, you're like, oh, wait, I haven't practiced for an hour. So when your motivation wanes mm. or when you're tired or when you've done a concert and you're feeling beat up or something, um, so that you don't um, you don't have to make those decisions. The other thing is, in the moment, as humans, we always will try and default. The way we've developed is to default towards what's easiest. And practicing two and a half hours first thing in the morning is not what's easiest, <laughs> right? And right. Mm-hmm. Right. But I, I'm. That's just what I do. That's what the default is. And sometimes that changes because Sarah does a 
a 24-hour shift, so she's going to go running at 5.30. So I'll go running at 5.30 instead of, instead of doing, uh, starting the thing. But I will do my stuff, my half an hour before we do that, and then I'll come back and then do the thing. So it's, uh, I think habit is a very powerful motivator um, for long-term sustainable improvement. Um, yeah, and it, and it habit, absolutely, because, yeah, you're exactly right. Like, the mo if you're looking for something, either internal or external, that's going to make you go do something that you may otherwise not choose to do, you're, you're fighting a losing proposition. That's just all there is to it. Mm -hmm. So that's why, for me, it's always just a, it's a simple question. Do I want to get better? And the answer is always yes. yes. Okay, well, maybe I don't want to go practice right now, but that's what's necessary so that I can go get better. And you got to be able to make those. For me, I know things get really easy because I'm a very logical thinking person. So I can have the argument in my brain knowing, okay, yeah, but you do want to get better. And there's only really one way to do that. So, right. all right, get your lazy butt into the, into the office and go, <laughs> play, go play trumpet. You know, yeah. so, uh, you know, during the week, that's always 7 a.m. And sometimes on the weekend, oh my gosh, it might be late, like, eight or eight thirty a.m. and it's like wow i feel like such a slacker i slept in you know but, but it's still necessary as a way to, to start the day and then practice daily practice again non-negotiable based out of both uh, an overarching motivation but a habit that i started building when i was 19 years old yeah. this idea of right. i'm going to start this day this way and then i'm going to practice music this way and that's just how it works yeah. I mean, we're all, what, what I think we're saying we have in common here, we all sense that we have this sense of urgency, right? We, you have to get this done today. This is something you have to do today, right? right. You have to practice, you have to get better. This, this is your commitment to do that. Um, developing that is, is really important. I think about our teacher friends out there, and I deal with a lot of, you know, confronting a lot of teachers through the course of a year and meet and talk with them. And, and I hear the words burnout. Sure. A lot. And I'm going to go ahead and tie this into this. Um, and I think it can happen. I think it's possible. I, I heard a pretty famous clinician some years ago say, if you're burnout, you were probably never really on fire to begin with. Oh, I like that uh, quite a bit. Good. I don't know, yeah. man. I, yeah. It kind of hit me sideways thinking that, look, things can happen. Look at all the pressures we're up against. I mean, as a public school teacher, this, the, all the things that just land on you that don't have anything to do with your own craft or getting, sure. you know, you're, you're dealing with things all the time. So I, I think it can happen. But I think being in this positive state or as Joey, as you're saying, this growth mindset and always moving toward that target can kind of keep that at bay. True. But uh, when we're talking about burnout, we're talking about uh, something that's going to be much larger than just any lack of motivation. You know, uh, as students especially, and that happened, I just had a discussion with my studio last week and I said, listen, I know you guys are all going, it's not just you. The faculty are dealing with a lot of extra stuff and stress too. Mm -hmm. It's So I want you to know, we know, and you know, we're in it, you know, so, but the idea of, of burnout can come not just from a lack of, of motivation or even a perceived lack of motivation. It can come from just being overwhelmed. And when I've talked to my students and friends of mine who just tell me, I'm done, and I ask them this question. It's the first question I ask every single time. Tell me what you do for fun. And most of the time I get a blank stare. Mm, you know, right. and they're like, what do you mean? I'm too busy. And I said, that's <laughs> the problem. You know, you, if you're spending, if you wake up at... You know, like if I woke up, I wake up at about six every morning. I'm in the office by seven. And if I'm practicing and then I teach and then uh, I go home and then I have to do more work and then I've got to do catch up on some stuff and do all that kind of thing. And then then I go to bed at 10 or 11 at that night and have never had any kind of release of 
stress, relief from everything that I've quote unquote have to get done. I think that more than anything else leads to burnout and students experience this a lot because especially college students, you're living at your school. You know, you're not at home mm -hmm. for the first time. So mm -hmm. you're either in dorms or in an apartment or houses, but you're at school, which means school then turns into 24 hours a day. So, oh, I've got to get my theory homework done. So I didn't do that yet. So I've got to do this. Well, I'll do it later. And okay. And now you're up at, at midnight trying to get, you know, your theory homework done or your music history paper written because you had to practice and you had to go to rehearsal. And all of that is real. All of that, especially if you're a music education major and your classes sure. are just stacked oh, up all day long. So you've got to carve out that time. And for me, you know, there's lots of different ways to deal with it. You know, you go outside, take a 20-minute walk. You know, I actually, as you guys know, I like real, I like watching TV. So if I can find a really stupid sitcom and I can sit down for 22 minutes and just go, and I will watch 22 <laughs> minutes and take that break. That's important, finding that kind of release, that release from the day and that relief mm -hmm. from the stress that goes on there. I think that does more about burnout than any sort of lack of actual motivation. Right. Well, you know, this is why last week we talked about the, the body center, breathe and flow concept. And here it is, right? Like ultimately we're going to have this ebb and flow of whatever is going to come at us, but you have to care for yourself and all that, finding a way to take a break, finding balance. We've, you know, we've talked enough on here about cycling and, you know, and Brian's running and, oh, do you, and all that. Do you cycle? Yeah, I know. That, it may come a as a surprise to you is and, and it may surprise yeah. everyone else to know that Joey cycles every day too. I do. There it is. True. You guys have you guys in. have you guys have sucked me in. Got that has become, That has become daily. So new bike. <laughs> anyway, I have an uh, old bike that is just fine. For now, you do. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, finding the balance to do those things too. And here we go again. We're we're informing our trumpet playing. We're informing our musicianship with all these things around us in our life that ultimately need to be in place for us to be successful at what we do. For us to stay motivated. And keep moving forward one this has been an interesting one right talked about in in the uk was um not only is life too short to hold a grudge right so they move on from stuff really fast um but um they said in the states or in, here we work so we can live in the states <laughs> you live so you can work <laughs> it's a very different yeah. ethic about about doing that there's totally dedicated they to everything they do but they they take time to to let down. It's programmed into what they do, um, and in how they live, and that's super super important. Um, well, yeah. j just the brass band culture itself, it's a mostly volunteer organization yeah, for around the country. Right. That that culture exists around the country for as long and is steeped in the culture as it is 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 a testament to exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And you want to talk about non negotiables? <laughs> Rehearsal <laughs> ends. Yeah. yeah. The gathering begins. Well, I'll tell you, it, it, uh, <laughs> maybe the most fun I had when I was in the Army was uh, they. Uh, we went over and did a clinic with the post band that was actually stationed on Fort Meade. As, you know, we were sort of guests there as the uh, U.S. Army field band. Um, and they said, oh, and I walked out with the trumpet section, and there was a basketball in the back of my car. And they said, oh, do you play? I said, sure. They said, oh, we've got a team. Because it was essentially like inter an intramural league on the army post so uh, i got special dispensation so i could play on the team and we played the only three months that we didn't tour which is january february march we were on tour almost all the rest of the year oh, yeah. that was our season every tuesday and thursday night we played basketball it was awesome i had so much fun playing on a basketball team i mean this was something that was just for fun for all of us right but it was it was just a great time finding that you know those outside things you know i, I you know 
during my undergrad and even sometime during my master's, you meet those people that are students in college that are like, oh, I'm too busy to have a personal life. I'm too busy right. to date or have a boyfriend or a girlfriend or to have any personal life. And I'm thinking, wow, you're doing this wrong. <laughs> you, know, but, you know, I think those are the people that are primed for burnout because they think, oh, it's so important that I need to do this. But all, you can do all of those things. You can well, both you can both grow and have a personal life. And I think it's in, in some ways more important to be thinking of, of your entire life rather than one aspect of it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I know this about myself. I'm motivated by food, right? I, I, I like, I am like, it's why I ride. Cause I want to eat, you know, (laughs) when do we eat? That's the first time that's made it on here. That's hard to believe. (laughs) When do we eat? But you know, I'm going to try to put myself in caloric deficit so I don't worry about it. I want to pay it forward. One of the, one of the best things I've ever heard, you know, Vince DiMartino, of course, Vince, we've talked about Vince before on the show. I heard him say one time, that playing the trumpet is just something cool to do between meals. <laughs> Absolutely. <right? laughs> but there is this idea of putting in the work, setting the goals in such a way that you are, you are, it is going to pay off with a treat or a great meal, or, uh, you know, you could play the concert so that you can, no offense, Brian, hang with your friends afterwards. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's a thing. Um, it is a thing, but there are ways I think that we can motivate ourselves along the way. You, you've got to know yourself to know what that, means to you what you need to put out in front of you if we could talk about food for just a second i will I'm say hoping part, we do yeah. part right. of the, one of the hard parts i mean we've all been struggling in, in different and varied ways across the country with being uh, not being able to do the things we would normally do as musicians but you know one of the things i end up doing is i travel an awful lot and as much as i love playing with different people all around the country the other part that i love just as much is eating wherever I happen to of be. Of course. You know, I remember uh, one of the times I was down in Houston, and uh, obviously being a native Texan, that's the only place anybody should ever really have Mexican food. But one of the times <laughs> I played there was actually Tony Prisk, who's now up in Philadelphia Orchestra. It was Tony's last week in Houston. I was down there, I happened to be there. Yeah. And he's like, hey, hey, nice to see you again. I'm going up to Philly. I'm like, hey, congrats. He said, you want to grab something to eat? You know, this is my last week. And I said, all right, Mexican or barbecue? And he goes, oh, I was thinking barbecue. I said, great, pick the place. And, you know, so that's what, you know, you go and you find all of those places all around the country and then it's such a it adds so much to the experience you know i remember mm-hmm. being on tour in the army we were in new orleans we're staying in the french quarter and i got up mm-hmm. my might have been the first time i was ever in new orleans so i knew where i was doing like i know what i'm doing i get up and i'm walking out and two of the saxophone players are walking back with mcdonald's bags and i said no come with me put those down i'm not allowing this <laughs> can't do that here that's not allowed no <laughs> like if we're on the highway and we stop and that's our only option sure Knock yourself right. out. And we walked down to Cafe Dumont. Oh, yeah. Sat down, and, and they were going, oh. Yeah, I said, this is, <laughs> this is, this is New Orleans. We're not eating fast food here. Yeah. In right. Like when we travel to England, I mean, you're going to get fish and chips unless <laughs> you're with Brian who picks the <laughs> one place <laughs> in the entire country. We're out. We yeah. don't have it. He did great work. Yeah. He was, that was a, he, his management of that tour was nothing short of spectacular. Oh, you managed to keep JC out of jail though. <laughs> Barely. A big <laughs> he, he almost didn't make it through customs. It's a big lift. It really was. Well, hopefully uh, some folks picked up a few things here anyway. It's an important factor in what we do, right? Keeping ourselves motivated, whether it's through your career or be, just because you want something good to eat, but stay motivated and stay connected. All right, boys, it's time for No Offense.
with so many great options, buying a something like a super cheap trumpet online just isn't a good move. <laughs> if this is the way yeah. you're doing it, no offense, you're doing it wrong. Um, by trying to save money, you're probably actually going to be wasting it. I mean, do your homework, ask for help, find a good option that's the best value for you. But no offense, don't buy a cheap horn online. Please. Yeah, you've probably seen, uh, it might have been the Sears catalog, the first place I ever actually saw a trumpet. I thought, what the heck's going on there? And I know you can walk into Walmart and there's like a $150 trumpet you can buy in Walmart and buy online. So I've actually talked to my repair, one of my repair guys, like I've talked to Brent Laidler up in Lafayette. And I said, all right, how many of these do you see? He says, here's the problem. When they break, they cost more to fix than they, they, and then right. they were paid for. They're just mm -hmm. not solid enough instruments that they should be used by anyone. Well, they're disposable. Right. But so you're yeah. thinking, well, my, you know, I've got somebody who's just starting out. Most music, there's probably a music store near you that would rent you an instrument through that first year until your student decides whether or not they're going to be serious about this. And you may want to invest in, in either, you know, a new horn or a used horn, depending on what you want to spend. But buying these cheap horns, it's just a bad idea at every level. Yep. Agreed. Um, you know, and, and, if you listen to the to the front of the show, to our spot, one of our sponsors here, SE Shire's company, they've got a sampler program now. And initially, I thought this was just for universities, university trumpet teachers to get horns in for their students. It's not. If you're a private teacher with a studio, Shire's will send you horns for your wow. students to try, including the, yeah, including the new Q series, which is a much more affordable option. So you could actually get really great horns right there in your studio for them to try. There are just better ways. You know, that, and would, and that's a really good one. Yeah, and these are these are people who really know how to make horns, and it's not like they're just making something up just for a student line. They know how the horn goes together. They know all the specs. They're just reverse engineering a little bit to get it down to a price point for a student, mm -hmm. which is a great option. It is, and and as you know, when the horn's not working well, um, that's just not great for the student. It's just they they have trouble progressing and and doing their best. Like if the valves are noisy, for example. That's yeah, just better with noisy valves. No offense, okay. Brian. That, Again. The best you're ever going to be is, uh, well, Brian, frankly. <laughs> the way you keep the whole band in time. <laughs> that clack is the metronome. <laughs> it's really unbelievable, actually. It really is. Well, listen, that about does it for today. Thanks for joining us on The Open Bell. Stay tuned, subscribed, and attentive. If you're not here, we might start talking about you. We appreciate your perseverance, and so do our sponsors. They sure appreciate your patronage. So long for now. Remember to keep an open mind, but more importantly, an open bell.